If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying. Is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted. Is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to The Sixth Sense Report. Hear ye, hear ye. Come one, come all. You are listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. I know you uh, you don't think the truckers accomplish much, but uh, <laughs> lots of changes happening around us, bro. A lot of a lot of, a lot of changes. Um, but but of course, the, it's the science has changed, not the truckers. <laughs> well, no, or the, the no, the science, well, the science is science, always changing, especially the political science. The political science. Okay. All right. Good one. The political science is always changing. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, so we're in Ontario. And so for those of you who don't know, uh, there's been some uh, COVID restrictions being lifted in, in the province of Ontario. Uh, so namely, uh, March 1st, the vaccine passports were lifted from restaurants, gyms, movies, and major major sports events. Yeah, yeah. And then, did you get to the Raptors yet? The Raptors to a Raptor Why, game. A, oh, uh, no, I, I'm not really a Raptor fan, to be honest. Um, okay. Well, I, <laughs> and then, I, I've I've already been able to uh, make myself make my way down to a Leaf game. Okay, uh, nice, now nice. That I'm allowed nice. in, <laughs> and then got, and got then, myself uh, a mask warning too. No big deal. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, speaking of masks, uh, as of March 21st, the masks will be lifted. Um, March 21st, and then and then officially. So, like, there's two stages where that will be lifted. So there was a post from Global News. And it said the the Ontario government says it will be lifting the mask mandate in many indoor public settings on March 21st. And so masks will no longer be required in most social settings, such as restaurants, gyms, large event spaces, and even schools. However, the mask mandate will remain in place for higher risk settings, such as transit, long-term care, retirement homes, hospitals shelters, jails, and congregate uh, care living settings. So long-term care facilities, you know, let's call them high-risk scenarios. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and this is, I think, I think this is important. I think this is very important because, you know, since what, 2020, March 2020, um, you know, you know, we got pandemics forced us to to lock a lot of things down and this is almost i don't know maybe it's it's a it's a sign of hope is the pandemic over is got kind of the feel that that we're getting with the lifting of the restrictions uh would you say the pandemic is is over um i would say the political pandemic is far from over mhm um i think the consequences from a political standpoint are still there's a long time to figure that one out Potentially years, if not a decade, to really figure out. And and I think the best example of this, I can actually go back to the day the lockdowns started. A friend of mine who's about a ten years older said, 
His fear was that this was going to be much like 9-11, where things changed fundamentally for a long time. Or, or sorry, they had a long-term effect of, of the way that the life was to be lived. And that was his fear of this scenario. And I would say to you, it's going to take a significant amount of time to figure out whether, let's say, everything that they said was two weeks to flatten the curve, i.e. temporary, was mm-hmm. actually temporary, or was it, was it being exploited for other political means? And, and desired changes to society. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, no, you made a good point um, in regards to the long, long-term effects of the pandemic and, and how some people um, have been conditioned by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think for me, do I, do I think it's over? Uh, I, <laughs> I'll say it this way. To me, the pandemic will be over when um, people will be allowed to leave the country freely. Mm. I think I think that's probably the last domino to fall. Yeah. So so once 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 you lift the vaccine passport for federal flying travel or for travel, travel, yeah, uh, yeah, that's that that that's a pretty big deal. I I think at that point you can you can celebrate, kind of like that saying, you know. Um, nobody's free till everybody's free, type of thing. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's a fair point because you know if I want to be my negative concern trajectories would be that the part of the reason provincial va- vaccine passports have been dropped is because they know a federal one is coming, because the provincial ones don't add value on the federal stage. I.e., if I want to go to the U.S my Ontario vaccine passport system isn't really going to work well. But if Canada has one system, it will work well or better. So um, there, there's that sort of concern. As you've said, we have no conversation about the federal mandates being changed. Um, obviously, we know that because Trudeau refused to have a conversation with the truckers, just calls them racist. Um, so... All that's to say that um, I think that fall of 2022 is going to be a very interesting time frame. Yeah, I think also when you look at uh, from the mask side of things, uh, <laughs> I, th- I think I think that that's also exciting because just like with the passport, um, that was preventing people from having going out going out for their anniversary, going out on a date, or even like weddings, right? The, the vaccine passport affected people's weddings in regards to who can come and who can't come. So, you know, that's, you know, praise God that, you know, as it's lifted, it's made it easier for people to have their weddings um, and, and be able to be inclusive in their invitation. Um, but then also the mask as well uh, will also help the wedding festivities. Because, you know, you and I have a wedding coming up to attend mm-hmm. uh <laughs> so uh but actually it, it's i, I right won't be before. wearing a mask <laughs> it's right before it's right before the 21st but it's okay it's okay um should be fun but yeah but but you could see how these mandates affect um the social fabric 
mm-hmm. of our country. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the, one of the aspects that that kind of threw me off as the the passport got lifted March first, and as the upcoming date for the twenty first, because people are kind of getting anxious and and you know you're seeing less and less people wearing masks, uh, but it affect it also affected like the way we were doing church. Mm-hmm. In regards to fellowshipping and purpose, I'm not sure what was happening on your end, um, but one of the things we kind of took for granted because we, we're so used to doing the social distancing and the elbow bumps that when March first came, we we're like, okay, so things are a little different now. You know, we're not we don't we're not necessarily having to separate as much, and and we're encouraged to come a little closer, mm. so to speak, <laughs> and and. And one of the concerns as as Christians that that we have is those people who um, have concerns about the pan, uh, who who still have has have reservations about the lifting of the passport and still are worried about the spreading of COVID. And so you have to be. So the idea is like Romans fourteen, uh, being considerate of your brother, and yeah. and not. I don't know what the word is. Uh, stumbling block? Is that uh, yeah, like- yeah. Well, stumbling block um, and stumbling block interpret stumbling block meaning um, forcing somebody to do something they don't feel comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. And so you have to take into account you have brothers who brothers and sisters who um, are still anxious about the pandemic and with the lifting of the passport, um, you got to be careful who you want to run up and hug, or you yeah. might be sitting too close to somebody. Yeah, yeah. Respect other people's uh, boundaries and. Um, fears, maybe even fears, like- yeah, uh, fears and the anxieties. But it it was just kind of weird. Where okay, wow, we don't have to necessarily separate. So what do we do on the first week? What do we do on the second week? Mm. Right, like you mm-hmm. want to sit next to somebody, but you're like, okay, maybe I shouldn't sit next to them. <laughs> right, you got you you have a group acting like it's already over, and then you have a group who's saying like, ah, nah, this this is just a political ploy. Right, you have right. You have those who are who have their two cents thing. Hey, look, this is just true. This is just or uh, just trying to get Ford. reelected. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. So that you're like, okay, well, is is how come he's not trusting the science? But I would I would say, yeah, I don't think it. Science. I don't think it was ever. It was never about the science, and I think this this is kind of proof. This mm-hmm. is kind of proof that it was never. I don't know. Actually, no, I do know. This is this is proof <laughs> yeah. that it was not about the science, and in the sense that, um, oh, okay, now now we're gonna um, take away the passports. Now we're gonna you know take back the masks. Like you, you you made a joke in the start. Yeah, the the science is changing, right? Mm-hmm. And there are people who mm-hmm. are, who are still kind of like, well, no. How could the science change from one week to another? Right, so for those people who are saying, "Okay, yeah, these lockdowns are great; these mandates are great," um, I think they're starting to realize that, yeah, like it was never about the science in the first place. No, well, and and for me, it's obvious because you know the science is the science, or better, you know, science is about critical evaluation, testing hypotheses, and validating them or invalidating them is, is technically a more precise way of looking at it. Um. And what we actually saw from our political discourse was the people who are doing not what we say are anti-science, 
right? Or the people who are questioning what, what political actors have said are anti-science, right? And so there's this almost antithetical to science statement claim towards those that are, in my opinion, actually practicing science, right? Questioning comparing with other data and going well this doesn't match up to this or well what about this or you know great barrington declaration why not take a focused approach you know the the political response was to diminish demonize dismiss not actually address the substance and compare and so mm-hmm. you know like you said i think you sort of hesitated like i know well yeah i know partially that it was never about the science because when i looked at you know the science of masks you could easily see that there was a, you know, arguments for both sides, let's say. But that's not how it was presented. It was presented like you're an anti-masker if you think that these mask mandates are bad. And if for some reason you fall in that category, check out covidchartsquiz.com. I guarantee you won't get it done well or you'll fail because there's no method or madness to the data. But anyways, yeah, covidchartsquiz.com. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I think I think it, it, it's gonna definitely cause a lot of good conversations to um, between friends and family in regards to what's going on. I know I know there's some people um, in some churches that take the stance where once the va- once the masks um, the mandate for the masks have been lifted, they would still encourage their 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 congregation to continue to wear masks. Just because, right? You know, there's a suspicion on both sides of of the argument of the implementing of the of the mandates and also the lifting of the mandates in mm-hmm. regards to like, okay, mm-hmm. like, yeah, they're only doing it for um, political convenience. Well, and I think there's a level of cognitive dissonance for the people on that side because they're sort of saying, well, sorry, what side? On on the side who thinks the removal it was only political. And the reason why I say cognitive dissonance, because if you think the removal was political, you have to wrestle with the fact that the implementation could have also been political, mm-hmm. right? Like if, if, the, if the new action was political, well, you have to at least ask the question, was the initial action political, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like if, just based on your current position towards those people, like if they're capable of it now, they had to have been capable of it previously. Right, right. Uh, yeah, and, and I, think, I think one of the most helpful things that I could suggest to the listeners is that don't stop having these conversations in your family WhatsApp chats <laughs> in, with your family over the dinner table. Graciously. Uh, yeah, graciously. <laughs> well, I mean, you know what? It, uh, you, you, you've said it before. You know, it's always good to have like these difficult conversations when when tensions aren't high. Mm. And so so it's important like now that the dust is settling and and it's kind of like like we just said like there's kind of balance now where those people who who both sides are kind of questioning the implementation and the lifting. And so the point I'm I'm making is that, you know, there's a lot for us to learn from what happened. I don't think it's enough. I think it's I think it's wrong for us to sweep this whole thing under the rug and act like it didn't happen. Uh, for example, here, here's a good talking point that, that people have been having. Um, what about those who lost their jobs, right? So, so when they left the vaccine passport, you know, people were like, okay, so uh, 
what about those people who lost their job because of the vaccine passport a month ago? Will they get their jobs back? And and that's where things are really sticky, right? Because like people are getting called back to work if they were on unpaid leave or if they were on leave of some capacity. Though like the company like for example, I think uh Toronto District School Board is calling back the teachers that were working, let's say, remotely or on unpaid leave if they didn't have the vaccine. But had you already been fired, that's a bit of a different I mean, let's call it dilemma. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, do you do you know anybody who who's lost their job um, because they refuse to disclose their information? <sighs> I'm trying to think of if I know any specific, like no specific names of someone I know that that let's say quit, at least not in my let's say personal life. Um, you know, I know of people because there's you know semi political or sorry semi public figures like on Instagram or. You know, like I think there's a couple of police officers or first responders who, you know, essentially were like, we're done or, or I'm, I'm going to find a new career path. Right. So maybe, maybe when this all started, they, they saw the writing on the wall and said, I don't want to get fired. Okay. Let me take early retirement or let me do this or that. Right. So, but yeah, no, nothing, nothing particular um, is, is sort of standing out to me. Yeah. No, because um, I'm thinking about, uh, because I know people who who've um, lost their jobs because they refuse to um, disclose their information, uh, their their vaccine status, and yeah, no, um, those people weren't um, allowed to take EI. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, just looking at it now, which is which is kind of crazy if you think about it, you know, a person that's been at been at their job fifteen years. You know, have kids in a family, um, and and made their own personal decision not to disclose their information, lost their job, and now in a month they're you know they're eligible to get their job back. Or two months ago they lost it. Now now okay now it's cool, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> and I, and I remember they asked the um, um, Ontario what's Ontario's um, minister the guy. Um, I can't remember his name, um, but they they asked one of um, the, the uh, representatives, the Ontario government, about okay, so what happens now for those people who who lost their jobs, and and he was like, well, that was never the purpose. That's not that was not the plan. Uh, it's up to the employers to sort that out, whether they rehire the per- people or not. Yeah, and and um, Roman Barber had this jobs and. Jabs and Jobs Act that was supposed to make it illegal for any company to fire. And that I think it just got to its third reading, which was the time when it would vote it and, and it got denied. So, you know, you've got this um, attempt by a politician to protect these people. And, and unfortunately, uh, it did not seem to align with the views of, of others. Right, and I mean, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's just it's just again, it's 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 just fishy, and um, and also, um, inconsiderate and illogical that, you know, you would let somebody go away, let let, let somebody, um, you know, let go of somebody from their job, um, one, um, on the first, and then be like, okay, the whole re- the whole pretense for that is gone, 
in the next 30 days mm. or 60 days. Mm-hmm. Right. And so again, I guess that that comes back to, because I'm sure there's employers who want to, who will hire those people back, especially if they're good workers and they had a good relationship, I'm sure. Uh, but in a sense, uh, some of those relationships have been, you know, severed forever where it's just like, it was just, it was a bad breakup. Right. And just the whole, how the whole situation was handled for some people, um, whether they were misrepresented by their um, employers, by HR, um, and, and kind of pointing like, oh, this person uh, was being difficult um, or, or and so forth. So it, it's kind of crazy. And, and yeah, you got to keep a lot of people in prayer in regards to where did they go from here? Yeah, I know for sure. It's, uh, it's an interesting time we find ourselves in, to say the least. Right. Uh, but I'll say this. I'm really excited um, as a teacher uh, in regards to schools lifting the masks. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, and you know, you, and you, you have kids too, right? And, and, and you know, in school, um, although your kids don't, don't wear them, but I, I'm sure your heart goes out to other students. Like, yo, man. <laughs> Anybody who's a teacher <laughs> or has kids in school, man, yo, the mask thing, yes, okay, yo, 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 of course, we want to keep people safe and 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 be respectful, but yo, it's hard to teach with a mask on, yo, and well, it's hard to uh, even it's and it's hard to like teach even like if you're teaching like kids and and they don't project well. Oh yeah, 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 you yeah, can't and hear the kids, yo, oh, and the kids don't project, and you're kind of like, man. What'd you say? Okay, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, man, like, yeah, and even just for me, like talking, and even like the whole facial expression thing, and I and I kind of joke about it with um um some of my coworkers, uh, in the sense that, like, you're dealing with a kid, right? You're teaching, and part, and you know, most of the the communication, like half the communication, is nonverbal. And so they just have to look at your face like a kid's doing something at his desk and you just turn and you look at them and you give them that look mm-hmm. and the kid sees the look on your face and the kid stops like that was gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was gone yeah. with the mask because they can't read your, they can't read your eyes. Right. So, so it's, it's kind of good to, it's a beautiful thing to come back to, um, you know, like how things used to be where we can communicate, where the communication will come back and they can, they can see your expressions. You can smile at a kid. You can, you can be angry and look, look, look at a kid, you know, with a screw face and the kid will understand what that means. <laughs> right. So, or ice grill, <laughs> you know, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. And I'm sure, and I'm sure there's a lot of single people there's a lot of single people who are happy about that, right? Summertime's coming, right? It's a hot girl summer. It's a hot boy summer. <laughs> hot boy summer for Jesus, for those Christian guys who are, who are out there looking for their, uh, uh, looking for that special someone. You know, it's 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 a wonderful thing to be able to walk the streets, go to a function, um, and not cover up your beautiful face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get on my level. I haven't been wearing a mask since summer of 2020 um but but you do have that that cool uh you have the uh well okay so the see-through one yeah so i mean i do it's funny i was thinking about it like 
I I always if someone like technically I've never bought a proper mask. Um, I've never spent a dime on masks. Now that said, what you're referring to is we have this like plastic face shield. We bought like a ten pack of them, and they look like a mask. But obviously, if you read the the definition of the rules, it's like oh, it's supposed to cover you know be closed at the top and. So so mm-hmm. this mask does not qualify by any definition. But I always say to people, the reason I wear it is to stop other people from having a brain aneurysm. And the idea, the point is that like the only thing the mask is good at is catching when someone's sneezing or coughing. Mm-hmm. Well, technically so does this. Um, but so does coughing and sneezing into my sleeve do the same thing. But anyways, yeah, you, 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 should, you should we should put it uh, a picture of it if you can get a picture of it and put it in the in the I'm, show I'm, notes because because when I see you wearing it, I'm just like, wait, what is that? Is that yeah. even legal? It's, it's yeah, pretty cool. So and and that's the thing, but it's like, breathable. Like 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 there's space to breathe. Like it's it's air. Well, that's the thing. But it's, if it's, you if, <laughs> if you were to sneeze, it wouldn't it wouldn't get on a person though. Um, I mean. It wouldn't in the same way that when I sneeze into my sleeve, you know, it doesn't, right? Uh-huh. Um, but but at the same time, like, it's, I mean, the whole, the whole thing is sort of ridiculous um, in that, uh, I mean, ma- masks are a, an interesting conversation, right? Because so many yeah. people have this sense of, like, you're helping other people. You need to help other people. But if you listen, if you're really listening now, everyone, you know, these people who've been saying that for year, the last two years are now saying things like the mask really only protects yourself. It's, it doesn't have an effect on your, you know, someone else. If it's a one way protection device, basically things that, that critics have been saying from the beginning that in terms of why mandating them is exceptionally stupid. And the exceptionally stupid part comes from poor mask wearing is worse than not wearing a mask. And so when you're, if you only told people, if you allowed for people to choose for themselves, well, then only those who found value in wearing it properly would likely be the ones to wear it. And right now you actually, and that actually is also a signal to say, hey, stay away from me. Mm-hmm. But that mm-hmm. signal's gone when you force everybody to wear it. So, I mean, right, I, right. I, I've probably mentioned that on the show before, but there, there's lots of, you know, conversation that could be had if there was a willingness for discourse. But of course, you know, you the people who are pro mask aren't looking for discourse to prove that the wearing a mask is the right thing to do. No, they want you to be mandated. And now that the mandates are gone, they want to bring the mandates back. They don't want to prove that the mandate was effective. They just want to force you, i.e. liberalism versus fascism. Or uh, conservative liberalism versus progressive liberalism. Check out the episode. <laughs> that was episode, uh, I believe, one forty nine. Uh, Trying to know what those technical terms mean. But uh, Joel, you, uh, I want to mention something you you sent me that I didn't realize. Um, 
that's still on the topic of vaccine passports, mandates, and so forth, and the inconsistencies with the application of these policies as it relates to Kyrie Irving. Oh, <laughs> right? so so on the twelfth, uh, he is 12th, the greatest troll ever. So good, <laughs> he trolls. So, so this guy, so so. Just just for you guys who, who kind of need a refresher. So Kyrie Irving plays for the Brooklyn Nets, superstar basketball player. Um, he chose not to disclose his vaccine status uh, uh, to the NBA. And he so he plays for the Brooklyn Nets. And so uh, in New York, uh, the policy is he won't be, he's not allowed to play home games, um, but he can play on the road uh, because of his vaccine status. And then, and then, so yesterday he showed up to a Brooklyn Nets game, um, sitting sideline. He bought a ticket as a fan, um, sat sideline, no mask. And so people are asking, okay, so how is like the what, like you know, the star player of the Brooklyn Nets not allowed to play at a home game, but he's allowed to attend a home game, <laughs> right? And so, so there's an article from sense. sports, so so from uh, the Sporting News. Um, it says, uh, due to the COVID-19 vaccination status, Irving is prohibited from participating in games uh, that take place in New York City due to a private sector mandate for unvaccinated persons. While Irving cannot play, he is now allowed to attend games in New York City as a spectator. Right? So we said like on so Saturday, March 12th, Irving was spotted at Brooklyn's Brooklyn Brooklyn's Barclays Center for the ACC championship game, which featured his alma mater Duke. Less than 24 hours later, Irving was back at Barclays Center to watch the Nets take on the Knicks. Right. So, so the big question is why can Kyrie Irving attend Nets home games as a spectator? So it says, due to decreasing COVID 19 numbers in New York City, newly appointed Mayor Eric Adams announced he would lift the key to NYC vaccine mandate beginning Monday, March 7th. While the lifting of the mandate allows the unvaccinated Irving to enter, enter buildings in New York City, a separate private sector mandate for employees remains a hurdle for, for Irving to play in games within the city. And, and I think this goes back to what you said um, on previous episodes, that yes, the government can lift these mandates, um, but but there's um, private sector businesses um, can still implement them, whether it would be a vaccine passport or masks. Yeah, so that's more so in in Ontario. What I was saying about the so just I and I know it's a total sidebar, but for a point of comment, uh, you were talking about churches maintaining masking. There's churches maintaining vaccine passports. So mm-hmm. the whole different sidebar we won't go down that road but but mm-hmm. um i think this no but, um, no, but it's still applicable i think it's still it's, applicable oh, so the i think the only thing would be that there's an employer mandate that is different from the customer mandate so whereas where if and and i'd have maybe do a little bit of digging to confirm this but because it's it sounds like it's a private sector mandate the that doesn't sound like the private company put in the mandate it's that the mandate from the government is for the private sector so if i was sort of speculating here the way that i would think about it is like the tourist industry has a mandate and because they're in large capacity stadiums 
the mandate for employees is still applicable to er, to him as a somebody working for the home team because like it gets le- like levels of stupider, right? So like a visiting team's player can play, just not the home team's player. Right. So like mm-hmm. there there's this is where it's like it's it is a if I'm not mistaken, it's a government mandate on the industry who that again, this is fascism. The government is telling the company how they have to run their business. So um I would say I think it's a little different than what you've said where like in Canada, the government has said, Oh, we have the system, it's not mandatory, but now you can choose to use it if you wish. With this, I think it's still government uh caused mandate. That is the reason he's not allowed in, as opposed to a company is elected to maintain the mandate. Because I guarantee you, at this point, if the Nets were somehow involved with voluntarily picking a mandate, they would have overturned it because there's just so much bad, bad press. Because weren't you reading the article like what three weeks ago that they were contemplating paying the fine to let him play every game? Right, right. Right. So, so I'm pretty sure it's it is completely government mandated for a private sector as opposed yeah. to imposed by the business itself. Yeah. No, I, and again, I think it comes back to us having conversations even after the dust settles and to reflect on the past 2 years on what happened uh yeah, what happened um in re- in regards to political theory, ethical theory um yeah, and as a people, as a community, as a society, uh, what the heck is going on? And so we can learn from what just happened well, so we don't commit it in the future. And, and I think a huge part of this is why it happened has to do with people's willingness to say, okay, I'll, I'll just bear this one more thing because yes. we're going to get to the other side. Give them and, an inch and they take a yard. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, I really want to make this point you know, you ask about is the pandemic over? And I made a comment about six months from now. But I want to get my Nostradamus hat on. Um, Your false I, prophet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, Nostradamus I, or Nostradamus? Uh, uh, go ahead. Which, whichever is the proper enunciation. Um, I, I, I don't want to be uh, claiming <laughs> any a biblical prophetic prophecy. So I'm, I'm going to keep myself clean in that regard. Mm-hmm. But um, I would speculate. Let's say the those who don't want to let a tragedy go to waste. There's a risk in Canada. And when I say risk, I mean there are bureaucrats who have already made comments that mandates will be coming back if numbers get bad in the fall. Right? So I think Teresa Tam has said it, as well as BC has said it before they've even gotten rid of. So BC's like the slow tail behind everybody, and that's partially because they're run by NDPs. Um but but their public health person has said even before they are removing these mandates that they expect the mandates to come back in the fall. So if I was sort of speculating forward looking, your point about needing to have conversations is very important because I would say the political actors want all of this to go away because that allows them to say it worked. Right? Oh, the mandates worked. It lowered cases. It was an effective strategy as opposed to, oh, we're sorry, we were idiots. We won't do it again. 
right? Okay, oh, we're well, sorry. We tried something and it didn't work. So the reason reason I say this is if we don't have those conversations you're talking about, we aren't criticizing in a in a constructive sense, right? We aren't thinking about what were these and policies learning. and learning that was a bad we tried it, we were worried, okay, have a little grace, but let's not do that again. But if we don't have that conversation, we have we allow the political actors to not be accountable. But two, this is where, you know, maybe I'm being a little paranoid, but being a little trying to trying to be slightly prophetic. I would suggest that there's going to be a push for a combo mRNA flu COVID vaccine in the fall as a means to fight the annual problem that we have in Canada of flu overwhelming our ICUs, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've seen so many memes or video meme, whatever, showing like headlines from the last 10 years, every February, hospitals in Toronto having, you know, overwhelmed, essentially shutting down elective surgeries, right? Like this is a common problem in socialist healthcare Canada. So if, again, I'm being a little bit, you know, worst case scenario. But my point is that I guarantee you there's political actors who who are willing potentially to try to make such an action. And so having the conversation about the effectiveness and lack thereof is important today and the next six months such that when and if it gets tried again, people are not going to put up with it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first from Nikolov Domus. <laughs> we'll see if he's uh, uh we'll see if his uh, prophecies come true or we have to burn him at the stake. Uh, next up on the Six Sense Support, we're going to talk uh, about who won, the truckers or Trudeau, with Dagny Pavlat. Agree or disagree with our views? Give us your two cents. You can leave your comments on any of our social media platforms or email us at sixcentsreport at gmail.com. Six cents makes Six cents makes Six cents makes Man, I think uh, we're probably going to start hitting our max on the, the convoy episodes, but uh, this is definitely <laughs> definitely another one we got to do, you know? Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, so we, we have a special guest with us uh, today. Uh, yeah, so please uh, welcome Dagny Pavlak to our show. Welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I, I guess before we we jump into let's say a, a good update, um, why don't you give us a quick uh, background on yourself? I've seen you know some stuff regarding your history with the Ontario Liberals, Obama. So how do you uh, get involved with something that seems at least a little bit foreign to to the Liberals today? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, so yeah, I was working for and with the Liberals uh, right up until 2015, actually. And uh, I guess I, I fell on uh, the left side of the political spectrum on a lot of issues um, up until very recently. I mean, I still do fall on the left on, on some, but um, I did 
work on the Obama re-election campaign in 2012 as well. Um, gosh, I think I was maybe 19 at the time, but, um, hmm. but yeah, so I, I think what, what really got me involved with the Freedom Convoy was essentially that I, I didn't see it as a political movement. And I don't think a lot of the convoy organizers or participants have ever seen it as such either. I mean, uh, it, of course, political in the sense that we oppose what's, uh, what's being pushed on us by the, uh, political ruling class, but, um, but it was really just about freedom, right? It was about, mm. uh, seeing mandates dropped and it was about the, essentially the socioeconomic grievances that emanated from these mandate policies. So, so that's what got me all, uh, uh hyped up and, and ready to go. And as you know, probably yourselves that, you know, People like B.J. Dichter, for example, he has a conservative uh, political past. Um, mm -hmm. Tamara Leach, she was involved with the uh, Maverick Party out west. Um, I myself have uh, been working with the liberals. So throughout the organization itself, you'll see people falling all over the political spectrum, coming together and uniting under the banner of, banner of uh, freedom, essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, and what was your role exactly with, with so, the Freedom Convoy? Yeah, so I was uh, a press contact, um, a media PR person, so uh, essentially dealing with media inquiries, uh, interview requests, uh, typing up uh, press releases with our media team, um, sort of, you know, trying to counter that that narrative that <laughs> uh, mainstream media has been uh, pushing out there, you know, anytime uh, you open a CBC article or a Globe and Mail article, um, you'll see, uh, I mean, uh, the Globe and Mail has been a, a, a little more uh, objective, actually, but uh, you'll see a completely different narrative painted than what you would see on the ground. And I'm not sure if either one of you have been in Ottawa. Yeah, uh, I was. I was. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I don't think I'm wrong in saying that it was a, a pretty festive atmosphere. Um, it, it was uh, an atmosphere and a, a gathering of Canadians far and wide from all over the uh, political spectrum and uh, of all different ethnicities, backgrounds, faiths. Um, so, you know, count, countering the narrative that the mainstream media was putting out there was uh, obviously uh, not an easy thing to do given uh, all of the, uh, the the shadow banning going on uh, on social media and uh, just uh, yeah I mean uh, that's, yeah. that's essentially what my role was mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, okay. well, but, well, let's just summarize you're basically saying that mainstream media which complains about misinformation and disinformation all the time is a primary <laughs> culprit of such things yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, Dagny, let me ask you this key question that everybody's been kind of thinking about. All right, Trudeau versus the truckers. Who do you think won? <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm obviously I'm going to be a little biased here. I'll, I'll try to take a, a couple <laughs> steps back and, and 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 be a little objective here. But I I truly believe that. Uh, I mean, in, in the court of public opinion, so to speak, I I do think that the truckers won and. Mm -hmm. And I think Trudeau didn't do himself any favors by invoking the Emergencies Act and by using that extreme show of force to remove these protesters. Um, I think that that was uh, evidenced by uh, a, a huge, a vast critique coming from 
not just you know mainstream media around the world, but uh, different elected officials, representatives. I mean, I think uh, something as embarrassing as uh, seeing leaders uh, of uh, China and Iran criticize Trudeau for his uh, infringements on human rights and civil liberties. Um, I thought that was quite comical. And, and I think that that really truckers accomplished so much because we, we really initiated this movement and, and they initiated this movement, sorry, that rippled throughout the world. So we've seen something to the tune of 30 countries globally that have started organizing their own convoys. People started speaking out and recognizing, hey, I'm not alone and I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because that's that's essentially, these past two years have been a gaslighting exercise by the government. And I fell into that category myself, right? I started looking around at these mandate policies and these lockdown policies that really sort of deviated from any logic and you know you were made to believe you're crazy for questioning them but so i think this convoy really not only brought that to the fore but there's been accomplishments that were you know covid-19 restriction specific for example so governments across canada um such as you know quebec british columbia uh they've started loosening their restrictions in ontario as uh, we all know uh as of march 1st i believe the vax mandates to enter certain establishments were lifted. I think uh, the mask mandate will be scrapped soon. Um, There's been accomplishments that were, of course, (laughs) specifically political, as we've seen and noticed that, you know, the Conservative Party started singing overtures to the movement um, and to the convoy. So, um, so there's been, there's been a lot of accomplishments, I think, throughout, but also, also this brought a lot of issues that weren't initially convoy related, such as, for example, financial sovereignty to the fore. Mm, right? mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. when uh, when all of these uh, donations were frozen, and then the subsequent alternative donation uh, platform, the Give Send Go one, located in the U.S., was formed. Within within days, we reached something almost to the tune of the ten million dollars that was raised initially, and that was subsequently frozen as well. And I think that people started recognizing that this government overreach goes way further than just uh, insofar as bodily autonomy is concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we, we definitely, uh, we, we just actually, um, the, for the listeners, the, the, this morning we released an episode sort of with a, a friend of ours regarding the, the, you know, the crypto space and, and what a lot of that is revealing, like you've said, um, with regards to the financial transactions and maybe how we need alternative solutions. So for the, you know, for myself, even I look at what the convoy did. I look at, you know, your involvement and I go, okay, well, what's left? Obviously we know that, you know, people like Tamara and, and some others have, you know, let's call it been muzzled and are going through some court scenarios that, that, you know, have to play out. So where, um, I guess, where is, the the convoy obviously you talked about it sparked a whole bunch of other uh let's call them mini convoys even within ontario i see a lot of the protests or i should say canada the protests now that happen like every saturday have a convoy component to them and so there does seem to be some lingering effects but i'm wondering is there any um formal activity or you know let's say uh, pull you guys as you were observing the mainstream media's poor reporting 
Um, is there, let's say, some legal action in that regard that may be taking place? Like, where where does the convoy go? Where does your activism with the convoy, or or maybe activism is not the right word, but you're, you know, applying your skills to the to what the convoy did? Where are you guys going from here? Um, and and you know what what's the next steps, yeah. if, if anything? Yeah, that that's a a great question, and uh, unfortunately, what we were laying low a little bit initially because of. Um, of government action being taken against us and because mm. of the legal action that um, is currently <laughs> being taken against a lot of the um, organization members, Tamara included. And I don't know if uh, any of you were able to follow the bail hearings, but um, the, the the case put forth, it was just so politically charged and so evident that this was a politically motivated uh, type of lawfare, for lack of better words. Lawfare? And Lawfare, yeah, What's yeah. That? So, so it's a it's a term that uh, we've been sort of using uh, uh, casually amongst ourselves as organizers um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in in response to what we've been seeing going on. Like, I mean, the the first bail review hearing judge um, in Tamara's r- review hearing was a liberal candidate in I think 2011, and uh, and that was uh, that was something that we were sort of wondering how a a person in this judicial process can have such a heavy bias to a politically charged uh, case such as this. But anyway, um, we saw Tamara being held for, I think, almost three weeks without bail for two petty counts of mischief. And that is unheard of, especially when in Manitoba, somebody charged with a hit and run is released on bail within 24 hours. I mean, it, there's there's no way around saying that this was a a politically um motivated hearing and uh and we use the term lawfare in the sense that you know you're weaponizing the legal system to mm. reach the goals of the mm. established political entity that you know doesn't want us um there in Ottawa right so so where was I going with this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the question was essentially w- what's the next step, right? You talked about laying right, low and, right, and the right. the controversy that obviously you're embattled with, with Tamara right. being the the prime example of that, right? Right, right, right. So so I think uh, so, so what they were you know threatening her uh, with was uh, initially a, a ten year sentence. Um, or it, it was yeah wild, wild like that. Yeah, they were throwing that around. Uh, the crown was throwing that around uh, arbitrarily as as though that was uh, a possibility. Um, so it's standard tactic, though, right? Scare them with the worst case scenario absolutely. so that they'll plead guilty and lesser charge. We we know for anyone right. who's in t- involved with any level of social justice, you know that this is a common problem uh, within our policing system. Right, and and so and and because of that, just watching you know Port Tamara there, um, in these uh, bail review hearings, we we were counseled by by our legal counsel to uh, not discuss anything related to future activity specifically because um that would then uh, arm the crown with uh with more juice uh so to speak to keep her uh behind bars but uh i myself can tell you that uh the outgoing media team from the convoy uh including uh bj dichter and uh, a couple others uh will be continuing our political and media uh advocacy 
And what we're working on right now, um, there will be shortly, we will launch um, an organization. So I can, uh, I can keep you guys updated on that. Uh, we're looking to announce it formally um, in the coming weeks. But we are working on a Substack newsletter as well. Um, and, uh, and that too, uh, we'll be sharing shortly, but, uh, but we will certainly be, uh, continuing, uh, with this momentum, because as you well know, this has ignited this fire across the country where every organization, local community organizations, freedom activists are now organizing their own protests. They're organizing their own rallies, their own, uh, events. And they're all inspired by the Freedom Convoy. But given the fact that this was such a decentralized grassroots movement, um, everybody is sort of taking uh, taking on the initiative and organizing locally across the country. So we're going to definitely continue our media and political advocacy. And uh, I, I'm definitely looking forward to sharing those details uh, with you guys in the coming weeks. That's awesome. It sounds like we'll we'll have to have you back to to get an update uh, on that. So. Mm -hmm. um, for, for you know, what's transpired, um, what do you find was, you know, that gave you sort of maybe the most hope, even though obviously the War Measures Act and, and the clearing out was probably a bit of a morning time. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious, what has given you the most hope in your experience throughout this? What's giving me, me hope was, was really being there in, in the heat of it all for the the three weeks that we were in Ottawa and seeing the dedication from the truckers really uh, parked there and and seeing that the longevity of this protest and, and demonstration was just one that really surpassed all these hurdles that were thrown at us right mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and and I think that was so inspiring and moving to me to see that this wasn't a a one day show. It was, you know, uh, a, a three-week uh, long festival. <laughs> festival and demonstration of the the commitment to this cause, right? And a so, mark in Canadian history as well, right? I mean, it it wasn't uh, the weather wasn't exactly in our favor. It was freezing cold, and despite that, people were out there in masses, hundreds of thousands of people showing up. Mm -hmm. Um, on a daily basis, it was incredible, and and just seeing that 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 atmosphere, it that to me really really propelled me to to continue moving forward with this movement because it was just uh, infectious. And like I said, to know that that we're not alone and that this is not a a fringe minority, as uh, Justin Trudeau would like us all to believe. <laughs> it, it, it's incredible, you know, to that point, a, a fringe minority one day, and then the next day, uh, a, a large enough gathering of people that requires the invocation of an emergencies act. I mean, which is it? <laughs> so, right, right, yeah. Right, yeah. so, so yeah, I, I think, I think I really took a, a lot of solace in, in, in watching this play out, and especially you know, these, these politics of, of us versus them that the government and the mainstream media would like to play this out as, you know, pinning the fact that this was a gathering of, you know, white supremacists or, you know, the, the rural uneducated and, and unvaccinated, unvaccinated and therefore anti-intellectual, you know, people <laughs> out there. It, it was just, it was incredible that we saw all of these, these tactics that, you know, we've, we've seen throughout history being used against 
uh, a dissenting faction of your population to sort of submit to to what the state wants to 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 to, to level here and and seeing that happen and seeing people just rise up and say no more was truly so inspiring that uh once once you've you've seen it and once you've partaken in it there's really no turning back <laughs> yeah yeah no, that's good well uh, thank you for your time dagny for our listeners if they want to get in touch with you what's the best way to get in touch with you uh you know what uh, my email address which is uh dagny at gmail.com is a good way to get in touch with me also um in so far as announcements go and next steps and things of that nature uh my twitter handle is pavlak dagny so yeah, yeah I'll, put, I'll put both of those in the show notes page make it easy for for listeners if they're trying to contact you or follow you so fantastic thanks so much guys thanks for your time no thank you for your time yeah we, <laughs> we appreciate it but you heard me does that make sense Madden and Mitchell Media.